pray all these things, Jesus, in your good name. Amen. Well, this week is the last week of our DNA series. We've been looking at some of the core values that we hold uh, and aspire to grow in here at Trinity Bible Church. And I hope that you've been encouraged, uh, maybe even more than encouraged. I hope that you've been challenged over these last six weeks. I know that I have. Uh, if you've missed a week or two or we're on week six or five, uh, you can always head to our website to catch up on past messages there. Uh, just about all there. There's a couple that for various reasons may not make it there, but this series is all there, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you can also find uh, the audio of our messages on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and um, Spotify as well as the third place that we sort of send these things out to. Your best bet is to search for Trinity Bible Church Canmore on any of those things because there are lots of Trinity Bible churches. We're not even the only Trinity Bible church in the Associated Gospel Churches of Canada in our little denomination association. There's one in Ottawa as well. So look for Canmore. Uh, Mark in, uh, or excuse me, Matt in Ottawa will preach a great message as well. You can listen to them, no problem. I no no fear in that. But if you want to hear here, uh, add Canmore. The past weeks we have said a number of things. We'll just quickly get us to where we are today. First foremost, we started with Jesus matters. He is the center of everything we do. He is our cornerstone. He's the measuring stick. He's the lead pastor of this church, and we submit to him. The second week, we said God's word matters, that if we want to build our lives on a foundation, we want it to be on his word. That's why we've been sort of extra emphasizing the reading plan this year. If we say we follow Jesus, we better know what he said. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves regularly what he said in the Bible. And so God's word ma matters. It is our foundation. We said that Sundays matter, the third week. And I had someone lovingly, gently correct me at the end of that service saying, it's not just the day Sunday that matters, Sean. It's the gathering of the church. And I said to this dear saint, yes, you're right. It is the gathering, but typically we gather on Sundays. If we still had our Saturday evening service, then I would say it's Saturday evening, Saturday matters. But the gathering matters because there's a real sense in which the church isn't the church until it gathers. The, the word that we get church from, ecclesia, means an assembled or a gathered people. And so there's, I will uh, lightly say with a little bit of, not hesitation, but caution, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you can be a Christian and just have a me and Jesus relationship. It's got to be more than that. You're, the church isn't the church until it assembles. Then we said that, that ownership matters. We kind of went to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 for this one, and we said that God has given every single one of us gifts, talents, abilities to use for the rebuilding and expanding of his kingdom. And some of us might feel like, well, uh, I'm not that good at this. I don't like doing that. I, 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 maybe I have these talents, but they're only useful in the business world or in skiing or something else, and I don't see how it fits. But what we said was, if you have a gift, one that needs to be exercised like a muscle and grown into, and you withhold it, you are actually hurting the church. We need your gifts like a body needs every single part and doesn't function as it should if something's missing. And then last year, last week, excuse me, 
Gary and Mike did a great job inviting us and challenging us to a life of prayer. And I'd encourage you to head back to that message as well. Now, I am uh, quite excited for this morning as we talk about mission and the mission of the church, the mission of this church, and the mission of us as followers of Jesus. Now, just before we get to mission, I know that some of you have gone on our website, you've scrolled through to the core values section, and you've memorized those 10, and you're saying, Sean, mission's not one of those 10. What are you doing? Well, first, great catch. Thank you for catching that. There's a few others listed there that we didn't devote an entire Sunday to. There's some overlap between some of these things. We we cover uh, evangelism here. We cover shepherding kind of here. And so it all comes under the umbrella of mission. And that's where we're landing this morning. Mission matters. I've gone back and forth a few times this week looking towards how we were going to do this this morning uh, and kind of flip-flopped once or twice But let me start here. Sometimes when you attend a a church, a Sunday that is a a mission Sunday or a vision Sunday, there's a ton of energy coming from the front and and whoever's speaking lays this great groundwork and this great grand vision and plan for your life and what you're called to and calls you to something more and and you're, you're ready at the end of the message, at the end of the time, you're like, yes, let me add it. Let's charge that hill. Let's do this thing, whatever else and you head out the door, you slip on the ice, or maybe you bonk your head getting in the car, and some words come out of your mouth that you think, ooh, no Christian should ever say those kinds of words. And all of a sudden, that whole kind of emphasis on mission and vision goes out the window because you're like, I'm out. I, I made it 14 steps. Maybe next year I'll catch the mission, right? There's no way I could do that. Or maybe you've been to a, a, a vision service or a, a mission matters type message, and, and there's this passionate call from the front to, to get on board. Here's where we're going. You take three seconds to look at your life, your schedule, the argument you had in the car on the way down, the nagging sin in your life, and you thought one of two things. This guy's completely out of the real world. He has no idea where most of us are living. Or maybe you thought, there's, there's no way. There's no way I could do what I'm being called to. Has anyone b- ever been in any of those? We got at least a couple nods the rest of you. You can admit it, it's okay. I'm pretty sure that I have, and I'm pretty confident that I've preached one or two of those messages over the years. So let me start by saying this. I get it. I get it. I'm not going to give you a brand new calendar to start a hundred different habits tomorrow morning or this afternoon. But here is what I want to do. I do want to call you to something so much greater than yourself this morning. So much greater than anything that the world has to offer. I'm not going to fill your calendar for you, but as every one of us wrestles with our faith, with our discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, our, our apprenticeship to Jesus, your calendar will take some hits. Some priorities are going to have to shift and adjust as as we realize that they're out of whack with what it means to follow Jesus. And this is a a constant, continual thing that will happen. A couple of Sundays ago, we talked about the beginning of the gospel. And I I proposed and said that uh, many times we get it wrong in our heads. And we think that the beginning of the gospel is you and I are sinners and we need a Savior. Right? Sometimes we think that. But in reality... 
The beginning of the gospel starts in the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. That's the start of the story. And just a few verses down, we read that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The creation story is the beginning of the gospel. That's what we root our lives in. That's what gives us our meaning, our purpose, our identity. It stems from the fact that we were created by God. That's it. Our value is intrinsic because we are made in the image of the creator. It's not because I read my Bible this week. It's not because I gave a message to a church this week. It's not because of anything else. Our value comes from being made in the image of the creator. That's it. Now, in a similar way, sometimes we get the end of the gospel wrong. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that the gospel ends with, Jesus rose from the dead to save me from my sins. And while 100% that's true, that's not where the gospel ends. There's, a, there's an application to Jesus rising from the dead to save me from our sins. It ends with us being sent on mission to the ends of the earth to proclaim all that Jesus has done for us. Look at Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Chances are you've heard these, words, these verses before. Jesus came to his disciples after he had been uh, crucified, laid in the grave, raised three days later, spent some time with the disciples. Can you imagine some of the conversations that we don't have recorded for us as they, they shared meals, they went for walks, maybe they went fishing. I don't know what they did, but I would guess the disciples just peppered Jesus with questions. What is going on here? And he came to them right at the end and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's all, it's all under me, he says. So now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why am I here? Have you ever felt lost or without purpose or sort of floundering in a, in a time of, I should I be doing this thing or that thing or what's going on? Ever wondered what life is supposed to be about? And these are, these are big questions. These are huge questions that every one of us asks, whether we consciously sit down with a notepad or something and write them out or, or just sort of go through life and, and wonder. We all ask them. This search for meaning or mission or purpose is a part of what it means to be human. Maybe you've heard of Abraham Maslow, who's a 19th century psychologist who came, with, came up with what he called the hierarchy of needs. And someone later took this hierarchy and formed them into kind of a triangle or a pyramid with the, the most important needs for humans at the bottom and then kind of building on that. If we got these lower ones taken care of, we can start to worry about the ones above that. And so he said, and what he was trying to do was describe the things that every human, no matter where you live, no matter what culture you're in, no matter what time you're living in, he said, we all have these same basic human needs. It's part of what it means to be human. Now at the bottom of this list, again, once it was put into sort of pyramid triangle form, were the most crucial things, food, shelter, water. Until you take care of that, forget about anything else above that kind of thing. But as you move up the triangle and get to the very top, right at the top is something called self-actualization. 
It's, this is being all that you can be. It's the best parts of who you are being fully developed, and it's the, the unique person that you are firing on all cylinders. Now, a modern-day psychologist, Scott Barry Kaufman, describes this self-actualization as basically our need for purpose and our need for transcendence, which means we need to have a purpose that's beyond ourselves. That's what the transcendence piece is. And we need, we need or we want to know that our lives have meaning beyond just the days of our lives. Everybody with me in that so far? Okay. Now, along these lines, there was an article written in the New York Times by a, a guy named Joseph Carter. And he uh, had a great title. He called it, The Universe Doesn't Care About Your Purpose. And in this article, he writes, Purpose is a universal human need. We all need purpose, and without it, we feel bereft of meaning and happiness. Now, I suspect we could, even though many of our worldview decisions might be different than this writer's, we could probably all agree with this, right? We, we long for purpose, and if we feel like we don't have a purpose or a meaning, it's just like we're sort of swimming and not getting anywhere, spinning our tires, maybe. But there's lots of evidence and, and studies to back up that statement, too. But he says, as the title of the article suggests, that the universe doesn't care about your purpose. I would suggest, suspect, he's an atheist, has a worldview that doesn't include God. So he kind of says, you're here by chance, you'll live for a short time, and then you'll be gone forever. And so he concludes, we create purposes to establish happy endings in a universe where endings are simply that, endings. In other words, he's saying there's no transcendent reason outside of ourselves. There's no reason why we're here on earth, so there's no really good purpose for our lives. But since we know that we'll live happier lives if we have some kind of purpose, let's just make something up and go for it, because then we'll be happier. That's not that happy to me. Now, Mark Sayers, who's a pastor, author, and podcaster from Melbourne, Australia, he often writes this phrase, that our world wants the kingdom without the king. The world wants, our, wants the kingdom without the king. We want the benefits of being a part of the kingdom of God, but we don't want that pesky king trying to tell us how to live our lives. We have this deep desire for purpose and meaning and transcendence, but we don't want anything or anyone outside of ourselves to tell us what that purpose is. But here's the problem with that. If we don't have someone outside of us giving us a mission or a purpose, then all we're left with is our own ideas of what this could or should be like for me as an individual, and that puts a tremendous weight on our shoulders. If I don't have some sort of reference point outside of me telling me about me, about myself, and I'm trying to self-actualize because that's the top of the need, right? How on earth do I get there? And so I carry this heavy burden trying to figure out who I am, what's my purpose, how do I become the real me, and what's life all about? These massive questions, and I'm left to myself to try to figure it out. And so then we'll, we'll chase after this thing or that thing, trying to find 
something, anything that will hold the weight of these massive existential questions. Mark Sayers uh, has done a podcast with a, a pastor in the States named John Mark Comer called This Cultural Moment, which is really fantastic and it explores all this in much greater detail than we can this morning. But one of the things they talk about on the podcast is something called the secular salvation schema. Okay, the secular salvation schema. He said, basically they say what our culture has done. We've rejected God, yet they've kind of taken the Christian gospel paradigm of creation, fall, sin, regeneration, salvation, heaven. They've taken as a, I, I like this. I don't like God. I like this idea, though. So let's just sort of funnel secular ideas into this Christian worldview. It's the kingdom without the king, right? And so, for instance, Eden, creation in the secular salvation schema, becomes discovering your inner child, your inner self, your, the best version of you, who you were made to be. The fall becomes that loss of Eden moment. Something happened to me because I'm not that kid anymore. I'm not that ideal child anymore. It might be trauma or wounding or externally given identity. Somebody told me I'm this, but darn it, I'm not this, so I'm going to fight against that. Anything that doesn't come from your inner self is considered oppressive. And even binding commitments like marriage and duty should be rejected because they oppress me. Sin in this schema becomes feeling not happy or feeling not good about yourself, feeling any kind of shame. And salvation then, the Christian version is Jesus, right? But salvation is rediscovering your inner self through whatever means necessary. Yoga, self-help, Hollywood, food and drink, whatever. Whatever it might be that helps me get back to where I want to be, that's salvation. And heaven in this secular schema is the good life. It's the life we see on everybody's Instagram feed, if you watch Instagram. It's pleasure. It's happiness. It's the good life. It's being in a beautiful place with beautiful people, drinking delicious coffee or a beautiful glass of wine with, as a meditarian, a nice steak in front of you, whatever it might be like. It's, it's everything I want. And if we get there with no binding commitments on me, with no external pressures, I'm just free to be me, then we've made it. That's what the world is telling us. That's what the secular salvation schema kind of breaks down to. Can you see that tugging on people's hearts today? In our, in our news, in our story, in our laws that are being passed, and all these things. It's the kingdom without a king. Or, or maybe differently, it's my kingdom with me as king and nobody else. But here's the question. What if we actually were created for a transcendent purpose? What if the reason we have this deep, built-in desire for meaning and purpose and transcendence that goes beyond just ourselves is that we were made for that? Th there's a reason. What if, what if there actually is someone outside of us that has given us a mission and given us a purpose and a reason for our lives to matter? Well, C.S. Lewis sort of answers these questions this way. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. 
So here's the big idea. We were created for something bigger than ourselves. We were created for a transcendent purpose. We have this mission given to us by God, graciously given to us by God, and his mission is one that will fulfill the deepest longings of our hearts. And though that sounds maybe a little bit heavy, of okay, man, God's, jeepers, God's given me something to do. How can I mess up and mess up for God? Though it seems like a burden, it is actually a gift. So why does mission matter? Mission matters because it's what we were made for, and mission matters because it's the hope of the world. It's what we were made for, and it is the hope of the world. Christopher Wright, in his book, The Mission of God, puts it this way. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. See how that flips a little bit there? He says mission wasn't made for the church. It's like Jesus left and left the church, and they started to grow, and they're like, well, now what? Let's give them something to do. But no, the church was made for God's mission. This is what we were made for. We were designed to carry out God's purpose in the world. And until we live into that design, or we live into that purpose, we are not experiencing what it means to be fully human. And the whole Bible speaks to this. Again, right from the beginning of the Bible, God made Adam and Eve, and then what did he do? He gave them a mission. Take care of the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue the earth. That's mission. That's, that's God saying, do this. Fill the earth with image bearers so the entire earth will be filled with the presence of God. That was, that was it. That was the mission. But just like today, Adam and Eve, they wanted the kingdom without the king. And they thought, maybe we can be king. And so they chose to try and be like God instead of submit to him. And then instead of bringing his presence to the entire world, they were separated from him. But God wasn't done. Way back in Genesis 3, he promised a way back. Later in chapter 12, God calls Abram, who he renamed Abraham. And God calls this 100-year-old Abraham and his 90-year-old wife and says, you will have a son, and through that son you will become a great nation. But why will they be a great nation? Not just to make Abraham look great. Look at Genesis 12, verse 2. God says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Lots of our prayers kind of stop there, don't they? God bless me. God help me with this. Help us with this whatever it might be. And they're not necessarily bad prayers. They're just kind of incomplete prayers. But look at what he says in verse 3. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God didn't just bless Abraham just because. He had a mission that through his family, the whole world would know this creator God. But like Adam and Eve, we can keep reading the Old Testament story and see that that great nation, that did come, failed in their mission. But again, God still wasn't done. He sent his own son, Jesus, as the light of the world, the perfect image bearer, the visible image of the invisible God, the one that would perfectly display and represent God to the earth. And, and Jesus came and did what every other person in history had failed to do. He came and he ushered in a new era, a time when the kingdom of God started to appear on earth. 
and God's reign and presence was seen in him and seen through him. And through his death on the cross, he, this Jesus, paid for all the ways that you and I have missed the mark of our mission. He atoned for our sin and our failure, and he brought forgiveness. And then he promised, and he gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to, to go and empower anyone, empower anyone who would call on his name and submit to his kingship. And this spirit would come and indwell them and work in them and work on them to make them look more like Jesus. And then Jesus calls his people to continue the mission. John 20, 22. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me to be your example, to show you the way, to do all these things, as the Father sent me on mission, so I'm also sending you. As we already read in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And he's saying, I am the king. This is my kingdom. And in that kingdom, he gives us this mission and the authority to carry on with it. And he says, go and make disciples, make followers, make apprentices, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And here's the promise. Sometimes we miss this promise at the end of the Great Commission, but it's maybe the imp most important part. I always hesitate to say the most important part. But for this morning, let's call it the most important part. He says, I will be with you. Just like sometimes we, we believe a limited scope of the gospel where it's either we don't go back to where we're created in the image of God or we forget that there's a mission piece tied to, tied to it. Sometimes we read the Great Commission where Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. And we think, that's a lot of people. How are we going to do that? Who am I to do this? How? There's no possible way. The weight of this burden to tell every person on the planet is crushing. And we forget, hey, I'm with you. We kind of really emphasize that this Christmas. God with us, Emmanuel. With, Jesus says, I'm with you every step of the way. You, don't, you, don't, you can't figure this out, but I will be with you. So now, we are called to be a part of this thing called the church a gathered people that has been rescued by Jesus, that has been forgiven of our sins, forgiven of our failures, that have been called to a mission, that have been filled with the presence of God so that we can bring God's presence to our neighbors, to our neighborhood, to our valley, and to the world. And there can be a light in the nations just like God always attended, intended right from Genesis 1 through to Genesis 12 to be a blessing to all nations. And again, this might feel heavy, it might feel weighty, it might feel like a massive load, but this is what we were made for. The reason mission matters is because it's what we were made for. The second reason that mission matters is because this mission is the hope of the world. We've already talked about how every single person has this built-in desire for meaning and purpose and mission and transcendence to be something a part of more than just little old me. And just like you and me, I don't know, maybe you've forgotten this in the past. I've forgotten this many times. Every single one of our neighbors is also created in the image of God. They're all image bearers of God, whether they know it, whether they live it, whether they believe it, whether they acknowledge there's a God or not. It doesn't matter. Every single human being has been created in the image of God. They all have intrinsic value and worth because 
They bear God's image. And so here's the thing that struck me this week as I studied. It can be really hard sometimes to, to cross the street and talk to a neighbor about Jesus. It can be really hard to, to bring up the conversation in the 30 seconds at the till to say uh, something about Jesus to, to, to the barista, whoever, right? It can be hard. But at the end of the day, if we're all created in the image of God, then it's only Jesus that will meet the deepest needs of our neighbors. That's the good news. And the church and Jesus' followers have, have sometimes rightly taken a bad rap for lots of things, and how we maybe push Jesus can be one of those things. But here is the, here's the thing. You talk about what you love, right? Evangelism isn't, shouldn't just be some program where we have a script and we stand on a street corner and we declare this script to whoever listens, and yes, maybe that's part of it, but you talk about what you love. And if you love Jesus, you will talk about Jesus. I wanted to give a couple of examples, and there's some really low-hanging fruit of examples of people who talk about what they love. Uh, so I apologize in advance for offending. If somebody's a vegan, you know they're a vegan, right? It doesn't take long. They walk into a sports event. By the way, I'll take the vegan popcorn. If somebody is a CrossFitter, you know they're a CrossFitter, right? You can be, again, doing something completely different and whatever else. You talk about what you love. If somebody's a sports fan, you better believe on Sunday morning before the camera goes live, if the Oilers beat the Flames the night before, darn it, you're going to hear about it, right? Maybe it's because it doesn't happen often enough, but <laughs> as an Oilers fan, I'm going to talk about what I love. If we love Jesus, we will talk about Jesus. And it will come out. And we'll tell people about how Jesus has changed our lives. And you know what? One of the, the, the cultural stories that we can actually cling to is, if that's just your story, you can tell your story. Nobody can argue with my story because it's my story. You might not connect the dots the way I do, but I can tell you that because of Jesus' work in my life, this is different. This is different. I have more grace for people. I'm less grouchy. I, whatever else, right? You can, I, you can try to argue with that, but it's my story. So we talk about what we love. Here's the other thing you need to remember. That when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, he wasn't creating some world domination, Christian colonialism, oppressive campaign where we go and we defeat everybody with our greater whatever else, right? It's, this is not that. Jesus sent us with good news. Do you remember how Jesus described his mission earlier in the Gospels, early in the Gospels, what he came to do? He didn't come to say, I came to beat down every worldview that doesn't agree with what the Bible says. I, that's not in my text anyway. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. In Luke's Gospel, in Jesus, maybe Jesus' first sermon that we have recorded, he stood up in the synagogue, he was asked to read, and he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you remember that chapter, nobody was expecting him to stand up and say that. And it was silent. And so he stood up and gave them a bit of an answer. You've 
heard these verses fulfilled now as I've just read them to you. He's saying, listen, I've come for those who are at the end of themselves. I've come for, for those who, who don't know who they are or where they're from or where they're going or where to make even the next turn. I've come for those who feel lost, who feel like they're in the dark, who feel like they're broken, who are lonely, who are needy, who are dirty, who, who can't ever be loved. I've come for those, he says. And when you and I get that, when that sinks down deep into our hearts, that that's why Jesus came. He came for me because I was sick. He came for me because I was at the end of myself. I didn't know where to go. I was lost. I was in the dark. I was broken. I was, I was, I was filled with garbage. When that sinks down deep into our hearts, we will want to talk about it. We will want to tell people how Jesus has brought us into the light, how he has helped us with whatever it has been in our story. And I pray that even right now, in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you lavish grace on us in this room and online right now to first let every one of us remember and recognize our need for the gospel. And then let us know that Jesus has met that need more than anything else we could ever imagine. When we put language to mission here at Trinity Bible Church, when we put together a mission statement, we have sort of declared it to be this, that we exist to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We exist to see one another in this room transformed, to see our kids transformed, our neighbors transformed, our valley transformed. We exist to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus. And that word transformed, that's kind of right at the heart of the statement, was carefully and deliberately chosen to be the center of the mission statement. And it comes specifically from Romans 12, verse 2, where Paul writes, do not be conformed to this age, reject the secular salvation schema, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect, the perfect will of God. Now, sometimes our English translations leave us wanting, but when we read be transformed, we should read it as be being transformed. It's kind of awkward, but that's more what it's calling us to. It's not as though one day I met Jesus However long later, I got baptized, and as soon as I came up out of the water, boom, transformed, no more work to be done, away I go. No, no, this is a continual work. This is a three steps forward, two steps back work. This is be being transformed. It's God's grace and his pleasure to be being transforming us into who he created us to be. He wants to remove the things in our lives that are harming us, the lies that we believe about ourselves, the lies we believe about what we think will make us happy, the lies we believe about where we'll find mission and purpose. And, and he wants to replace those things with the truth about who he says we are. Even just the other day, walking through with our kids and praying with our kids, we said, we prayed that, that they would learn to discern the voices in their heads. Is this something, if I was sitting at the table with Jesus, would he say it to me? Or is this something that's a lie that I need, to, I need to reject? I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Whatever else. Would Jesus say any of those to you? 
was reading a devotional this week uh, from Paul Tripp, and he said, um, the most important voice in our lives is ours because nobody talks to us more than we do. So whose voice are we listening to? Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, Life Together in Christ, describes spiritual transformation like this, and I loved it. She says, spiritual transformation is a process by which Christ is formed in us. It's that be being transformed. But look at why. She says, it's for the glory of God, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of others. Spiritual transformation is the process by which Christ is formed in us for the glory of God, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of others. The results, she continues, in an increasing capacity to discern and do the will of God. Spiritual transformation in the lives of redeemed people is a testimony to the power of the gospel. And again, nobody can argue with your testimony. I can say, God transform you. When I look back at, at 10-year-old Sean and high school Sean and first university Sean and second university Sean and, and dating Sean and married Sean and parent, all these things, I can see little bits of how Jesus has transformed me at each one of those stages. It's a testimony to the power of the gospel, and indeed it is an act of worship in which our very lives testify or ascribe worth to the one who made us and who calls us by name and who redeems us for his purposes. So how do we then go about spreading God's presence in the world? We go and we take our transformed and our transforming presence into every sphere of life. Our transformed presence isn't just for Sunday mornings. It's not just for bedtime prayers. It's not just for whatever. It's for everything. We take the transforming power and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives into the world, and we show people and we tell people what God's been doing in our lives. And if you're not sure what God has been doing in your life, or even if God is doing anything in your life, it's time to stop and ask him. Help him to remind you of, in my case, young married Sean, high school Sean, whatever else, and, and the, the ground that's been covered. Even remind me of a month ago Sean and the progress that he's done. We need to stop, we need to ask him, and then we need to listen to him to tell us. A couple of weeks ago when we talked about ownership and the body and community and, and needing to gather to remind one another of the gospel and to, to speak the truth into one another's lives, we, we said, we need this. And so encourage one another. Sometimes I can't see transforming Sean. I need you to come to me and say, Sean, I, I've seen some growth in this area of your life. I don't know if what you've been doing. I don't know what's going on, but clearly you have changed in the last however long. And I just want to bless you and I want to point that out. So encourage one another. Call out the good. Call out the growth that we see in one another. And again, even right now, we believe the Holy Spirit speaks. So stop and ask the Lord right now if he has a word for you to give to someone else. And then go encourage that person. Because sometimes it's really hard to see God's transforming presence working in me. And maybe it's more obvious to you. And I need you to encourage me that way. And we need one another to encourage one another that way. And so we take our transformed and our still being transformed presence into every area of our lives. Because Jesus' church, because Jesus is the hope of the world.
And so mission matters because this is what we're made for and because it is the hope of the world. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I recognize uh, even now that that there was a lot in those words. And so I, I pray that you would work in our minds and our lives to remind us of maybe one or two things that we need to remember. Thank you, God, for your grace and your patience and for your mission. Thank you that you have never given up on us, that we have not gone too far to be redeemed, that there, there's, no, there's no sin that we could commit, no, no leaving that's, that's not big enough to be covered by Jesus, your work on the cross. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. And so remind us of, of, of what you've called us to. Remind us of the transformation that you have been at work at in our lives. And point us towards what you've got for us as we move forward to. We love you. We praise you. We pray all these things.